Okay, I love that Wink started um, us out that way, and just, isn't he still here somewhere? He's here somewhere. Okay, he's running around. Uh, because I, I, often how I am as a prophetic person, and you might find yourself this way too, I was talking to Anna yesterday on the phone, and it really did start dawning on me, but um, I'm a feeler, and a lot of times I start picking up and feeling other people's stuff or what God is doing prophetically in the atmosphere, and it might take me a day or two before I realize it's not my stuff, (laughs) you know? Like, I'm like, what is wrong with me? I'm just depressed. I don't want to go anywhere. I don't want to do anything. And one of the things that happened is we took another team down to Port Aransas this weekend, and did a lot of really hard work again, hence my knee. And, um, but what I was picking up on the atmosphere is just such a sense of hopelessness and despair because if you're in a prolonged season of stress, it is going to manifest somewhere. And we, many times we absorb it in our body and our soul. And so everyone we encountered and everyone was welcoming our prayer. Even though some of them were really freaked out by it, they they knew they needed it, they wanted it, and they all talked about the that they haven't really even been able to process it yet. The effect is so great on their soul and in their body, and I realized I just was picking up on so much of that, you know. And so it kind of led me today. Kind of one of the things I wanted to talk about is um, what do we do when the promise is delayed? And I know that many of you, how many of you in here have a a prophetic word, a prophetic promise over your life that you haven't seen the full fulfillment yet? You know, there's still some things. And, you know, there's that proverb that says, hope delayed makes the heart grow sick, but a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. And I really felt like the Lord this morning started talking to me because sometimes where I I get to this place and I do it a lot. I tell him I quit a lot. I'm like, I'm out. (laughs) Quit. I can't do this anymore, and he lets me have my temper tantrum, and maybe just last few days, and I'm like, I was just kidding. (laughs) Not quitting. I can't really quit. But I allow my hope to be deferred because I'm putting my hope in my circumstances. I'm putting my hope in the prophetic word, what you promised. My hope, he is my desire. The reason that my desire is fulfilled, and that is a tree of life to me, is because my hope is in its proper place. Confident, joyful expectation of God. My hope is anchored in Him, and He will never disappoint me. The trouble comes when I start telling Him how to do His job, this should have been done by now, this should have been fulfilled by now, or the enemy is just overwhelming me with my circumstances, you know? And if you're a feeler, let me just, that brings up a point. If you are a feeler, you need to be able to have this default mode that quickly first says, is this me or am I picking up somebody else's stuff? That will save you a lot of heartache. So is this me, God, or am I picking up something? Because if I'm picking it up, it's for a purpose. So what do you want to do? What are you saying about this? What do you want to do here? And I get to release the opposite. I get to release and do what he's saying and what he's doing. And so... Today, I want to talk about um, its identity. I want, to, I want to talk about identity, but really contending for the promise. Um, the other thing is so often we will get a word, and immediately we see that it seems like the enemy comes in and the exact opposite is happening. Like how many, like you get this word and literally the exact opposite happens yeah, sure. right after the word. You're like, wait, we either say, well, that wasn't God and wasn't a, it was a false word, or we recognize, no, the enemy's coming after that thing to steal that from you, right? 
Think about, remember um, when Jesus was baptized, what did the Father say? This is my son who I love and whom I'm well pleased. This is my beloved son with whom I love, whom I am well pleased. Jesus, he identified Jesus. That's his identity. In the very next chapter, it says the Holy yeah. Spirit led Jesus into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So don't look at temptation as bad. Temptation is going to strengthen you. When I give in to temptation and I believe the lies of the enemy, that's going to harm me. But when I have those things come, contradicting circumstances to who he says I am, to my identity, what did Jesus do? What did the enemy do? The enemy immediately, he just had been identified by his father. He goes into the wilderness. What does the enemy say? If, if you are the son of God, command these stones to be turned to bread. What did Jesus do? He used the word. He said, no, no, this. I know who I am, and out of who I am, my authority flows. Yeah. So when you, when your identity is challenged, remember we talk about a lot in here, there, there is a corporate identity as sons and daughters of God, but every one of us has a unique identity and destiny. Like you have seeds of destiny and promise in you that the Father put there before the foundation of the world that he wants to accomplish in you and through you, and the enemy's after that. But if I will remember who I am, who he said that I am, you can't take that away from me. I won't allow the enemy to, now I have, he can come, he can come and challenge that. He can get me to doubt myself and that's when I say I quit. When I start looking at that and listening and getting overwhelmed and I go, what am I doing? Who do I think I am trying to stand up and speak in front of anyone? Why would I even think I could lead a church? This is too hard, there's too much. You know, my mindset is defaulting into listening to all of his lives. Like if I could see it all swirling around, I am believing that stuff instead of, no, no, this is what God said. God gave you this. I can give it away or I can choose to believe. No, no, no. God is going to do what he said he's going to do in me and through me. Okay. So, and also you can think about Peter. Remember, Peter gets this huge revelation of the Father gives him the revelation of you are the Christ, you are the Son of the living God. And Jesus was, I mean, Jesus was like, you know what, you didn't get that on your own, my Father gave that to you. And on that revelation, Jesus renames him, he calls him Peter, and on that revelation, I will build my church. So Peter's the man, like Peter's been awesome, you know. On that revelation that Peter had, Jesus is going to build his church. And then chapters later, or a year later, what happens? Jesus is like, you're going to deny me three times. He's like, not me. Everybody else might leave you, but I never will. I would never leave you. And sure enough, three times, Peter denies him. What does Jesus do immediately when he comes back from his resurrection? Restores. He restores Peter. He says, go to the disciples and Peter. Go get Peter. And he restores him back to his rightful place of identity because Jesus knows he gets it. He's always about who you are. He is never about who you are not. You know, the whole problem with eating from the uh, tree of the knowledge of good and evil is that is the I am not tree. Every time I start believing who I am not, Kelly, who do you think you are? You can't do that. Really? You're going to try to lead this? Really? This is what you're going to do? I am believing and eating the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil that says I am not. And the tree of life, the desire fulfilled that a tree of life is the I am tree. Jesus is the tree of life. Jesus is saying, Kelly, this is who you are. And I get to agree with him and say, I am this. 
I am this. This is who he has made me to be. And so we have got to pay attention to the fruit that we're eating. And you're going to know it by the words out of your mouth. You're going to know it by the thoughts that I'm predominantly thinking. So um, God often will give you a word. For those of you, every one of us in here have raised our hand, I think. Everyone, if, every, if someone has had all their prophetic words fulfilled, <laughs> that's amazing. You just need more words. Yeah. <laughs> you just need more words. But often God tells us things years in advance to prepare us. Years in advance to give us what we need to get us ready. And it's in those years of waiting and contending that we're being strengthened. I'm being matured. Things are being added to me. I'm letting go of some things. I'm picking up some other things. I'm aligning myself. I'm appropriating some stuff. And those years are so necessary. One of the biggest words, and it was just so clear, and Joey got it a couple, three times, I believe, from some pretty high-level prophetic people, um, about being Joseph, which is easy. I know it's his name. But about being Joseph and having a storehouse and a picture of a warehouse. And there's just so much provision that he doesn't need to turn around and even look where it's coming. But he's going to just feed many. You know, just it's always there. Provision is always there. And we're able to just bless and feed many. He got that word 15 years ago. And it set in motion a 15-year cycle that we have walked through. I'm not saying the prophetic word set it in motion. I'm saying that when that word was spoken and we believed it. And began to appropriate it and align it. He has Joseph's storehouse written out on his desk at the office. But 15 years of contending for the promise that we are just now beginning to see and step into. But I can tell you this, that in those years, we have learned how to stand and stand yes. Yes. and stand yeah. and get back up. And stand and get back up and stand. And we've learned how to war from a position of rest. For years, years ago, the Lord, every scripture verse I kept hearing that he was giving to me and speaking to me or other people would is, I'm training your hands for war. I'm bending your arms as a bow. All these war metaphor words. I'm like, I don't like those. I, and I really, back then, I was the least likely person to be in conflict or confrontation. Like, I hated it, you know? I just was like, I saw myself as weak and quiet and submissive and passive and, you know, like all of these things. And I've watched over these 15 years that God has strengthened me, not warring. I know I'm not warring with flesh and blood. God has strengthened me and enabled me to learn to war and fight from an absolute assured position of rest, that he is doing these things. And so I want you to look at, I'm going to read Ephesians 6 in the Passion because it's so good. You can turn to Ephesians 6 if you want, but it is going to sound a little different. Now, finally, my beloved, I'm starting in verse 10. Now, finally, my beloved ones, be supernaturally enthused with strength through your life union with the Lord Jesus. Stand strong with the force of his explosive power flowing in and through you. Put on the full suit of armor that God wears when he goes into battle so that you will be protected as you take a stand against the evil strategies of the accuser. Your hand-to-hand -hand combat is not with human beings, but with the highest principalities and authorities operating in rebellion under the heavenly realms. For they are a powerful class of demon gods and evil spirits that hold this dark world in bondage. Because of this, you must wear all the armor that God provides so you're protected as you confront the slanderer. For you are destined for all things and will rise victorious. I mean, that's a promise right there. If you don't say you don't have a good pr prophetic promise, write that one down. And we're going to do that at the end. That's going to be one of the activations today.
Put on truth as a belt to strengthen you to stand in triumph. Put on holiness as the protective armor that covers your heart. Stand on your feet alert, then you'll always be ready to share the blessings of your peace as you subdue your enemies. In every battle, take faith as your wraparound shield, for it is able to extinguish the blazing arrows coming at you from the evil one. So our position is one where we are standing. He's the armor. Every piece of that armor, it's him. You live and you move and you have your being in him. You have died and your life is now hidden with Christ, in God, with Christ. So your life union with him, he is always on your behalf fighting. He is giving you the victory so I can be in a position of rest. And when my eyes are, stand, are on him, and that's why I love that we were singing just that, and I love the tractor beam, but although you know what I thought about as soon as you said tractor beam, tra- you know, like tractor beam of hotness, that we're all just a bunch of tractor beams of hotness and his eyes on us, but no. <laughs> no, but that our eyes are on him, I like that. And so the whole idea of when I put my eyes there, that's where my hope is and all of that, then I am not getting dismayed that my promise is being delayed. I am not allowing myself to get rattled and I don't start throwing in the towel wanting to quit. Because he is the desire. He is the one who's continually, my priority is in intimacy and connection and fellowship with him. And as a prophetic person, that's your number one priority. Your priority is not to be the most prophetic person, not to give the best word, the most profound word, to be known as this awesome prophet, your priority is always connection and intimacy with Jesus. And if you will make that your priority, I promise you the other stuff's going to flow. And he is looking for people whose hearts are upon him, who sees that they're not looking for the credit, they're not looking to be the man, but actually he's, they're the ones who are being willing to be unseen and yet all the time believing in hope and confident expectation for all the others around them. They're always cheering other people on. Okay, I need to move on. The thing I also realized is if we had had that all that given 15 years ago, it would not have been a blessing. It actually would have done a lot of harm. We were not prepared 15 years ago. For these 15 years, we have gained so much maturity. I've learned who I am. We did not know who we were. We had grown and we had matured to a measure, but there was so much the Lord had to do. I had to learn who is my true self. Because, see, if I had taken all that on back then, I would have just worn those things as medals, like huge, you know, adornments on my false self. The persona that I created, who I was trying to be for everyone, and I've talked about that in here ad nauseum. We don't need to go into it, but you know that person that we put out there. Not who he says that I am, my truest self. That person has come into being through 15 years of some really hard times, some awesome times, but some really hard times. And all of that inner work had to be done. I want you to turn to James. Again, I'm going to use the Passion. Do y'all have, is there a Passion app? Yeah. There is? Yeah, there is. There is? There is. There is. It charges a few dollars. Well, there you go. Get your Passion app. Does it have all of them? I don't know what all of them are. They might be adding them as they add them like they are. You know what I mean? I didn't realize that. That's awesome. Okay. James 1, I want you to look at verse 2, if you're there. My fellow believers, when it seems as though you are facing nothing but difficulties, see it as an invaluable opportunity to experience all the joy that you can 
For you know that when your faith is tested, it stirs up power within you to endure all things. And then, as your endurance grows even stronger, it will release perfection into every part of your being until there is nothing missing and nothing lacking. Isn't that good? So we cannot despise the day of small things. We cannot despise hard circumstances. We actually need to look at those challenging things as great. You are just an opportunity to perfect me. I'm not going to look at this thing as something that's going to overtake me. I'm actually going to look at this this thing as something that I'm going to overtake and it is actually going to be used for my good. Though the enemy meant it against me, God's going to turn it around into my favor. And it's, That's why I love when Graham Cook talks about sitting on the airplane next to that witch. And she started to tell him the entire three-hour plane trip or whatever. She was like, oh, you're great. We, we put curses on you. That's our whole job. We meet and we do these things and we put curses on you. And he said, really? How exciting. Well, can you just tell me? Like, just give them to me. And so she starts going, he, just telling him this curse. And then and he looked at her and he said, is that all you got? And she was like so dismayed. And he said, because you know what? Everything that you're sitting here saying that you are trying to curse me, I realize that is just a blessing that God is going to give me instead. Like he totally, he's not afraid. That's not, we we can't be afraid of that stuff. Everything that is coming at me, when I can recognize it, if I see the enemy working in somebody's life in an area that I know is going on, it shows me, no, I know exactly what God wants to do in them. It's the opposite. So we cannot be freaked out when these circumstances come. Um, and prophetic identity is so important. Think about how long it took for Mo, not Moses, uh, Abraham. God promised Abraham, well, he was Abram at the time, a son when he was 75 years old. 75 years old, and then it wasn't for 25 more years. God comes, he changes his name to Abraham. He went from uh, exalted father to father of nations. 25 years he waited. Until he had a son. And what did Abram do? At one point he said, hey, listen, I've already got Ishmael. It seems a whole lot easier to me if you just fulfill your covenant through Ishmael. Ishmael. You know, it's like sometimes we want a shortcut. Like I want to like try to help God out and figure it out in my own way, you know. But no, he waited for the fulfillment of the promise. And it was 25 years later. Turn to Romans 4, and I'm going to read it in the normal Bible this time. Um <laughs> Not normal, but other traditional. Romans 4. I love, because I think there's so many times, and and it's it's actually normal for us to do that. We'll go, oh, this is what God meant, you know? Like, I've listened to this prophetic word. I'm like, oh, this is what it means. And then really, like 10 years down the road, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. This is not what it means. It wasn't that, you know? Because, and that's Okay. Um, Romans 4, verse 13. I'm going to start right there, huh? Okay. We read a lot. For the promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. For if it is the adherents of the law who are to be the heirs, faith is null and the promise is void. For the law brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. That is why it depends on faith in order that the promise may rest on grace and be guaranteed to all of his offspring, not only to the adherent of the law, but also to the one who shares the faith of Abraham, who is the father of us all, as it is written, I have made you the father of many nations in the presence of the God in whom he believed, who gives life to the dead and calls into existence the things that do not exist. 
in hope he believed against hope that he should become the father of many nations as he had been told so shall your offspring be he did not weaken in faith when he considered his own body which is as good as dead since he was about 100 years old or when he considered the barrenness of sarah's womb no distrust made him waver concerning the promise of god but he grew strong grew strong in his faith as he gave glory to god fully convinced that God was able to do what he had promised. God who speaks things into existence that one moment before did not exist. The God who spoke creation, the voice that spoke creation into existence out of seemingly nothing is the God who speaks through you now as a person of faith. And what I want you to look at and the reason I started up there is that righteousness of faith Righteousness is an old, the old Anglo-Saxon word is likewiseness. So you now, you, that, and remember when I taught on, I don't remember if I did it in church here, sympathetic resonance. Sympathetic resonance. Let me talk about it. Righteousness of faith, that's who you are. You have been made the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have been made like Jesus, likewise. So you actually have been made in sympathetic resonance with Jesus, to resound with Jesus, to say what Jesus is saying. I'm going to read you the definition of sympathetic resonance so you understand what I'm saying. Sympathetic resonance or sympathetic vibration is a harmonic phenomenon wherein a passive stream or vibratory body responds to external vibrations to which it has a harmonic likeness, harmonic likeness. The classic example is demonstrated with two similar tuning forks of which one is mounted on a wooden box. One is struck and placed on a box, then muted. The unstruck struck mounted fork will be heard. The same one is true if you put two metronomes on a wooden board and you start them off at different, within, I don't know how long, immediately they'll get into resonance with each other. You, string theory says, are a vibratory body. You have vibratory motion in you. You have energy, vibratory strings of energy. So I'm just saying that from a, a scientific standpoint even, when he says that you are the righteousness of God now, you have been made as right as you will ever be with Jesus. You are actually as right with the Father as Jesus is, which is crazy to believe, right? But that's what it says. So you actually are in like resonance and in sympathetic resonance vibrating on the same frequency. It's why you can do the works that Jesus did. It's why when Jesus says, listen, it's better if I go, because when I go, I'm going to send you the Holy Spirit and everything I've told you, he's going to remind you and tell you these things. And when he's saying, if you see me, you've seen the Father and the works that I do, you are going to do. Because of the Holy Spirit who lives in you. Holy Spirit vibrated on the face of the earth in the creation of the world. And the voice spoke and it became the being, right? Let there be and it was. Holy Spirit, if you will, is vibrating in you and wants to release words of life over people. And they then will also, like the tuning fork, come into resonance with what you just said. Can you see that? So what if you said the words of death? Like you said, when you said in your not the nostrils of God, you're a sweet aroma to the nostrils of God, immediately this prophetic, quote unquote, for the tape, quote unquote, prophet who came to this church in Austin years ago, 
He literally told this man, you are a stench in the nostrils of God. I mean, can you believe? I was just awful. Just awful. I've had to have so much broken off me. And, but is that not terrible? But so, but you're, so you, those words carry so much weight. Your words are spirit and they're life. Your words are the breath of God. They are vibrating on a frequency that is going to give life or death. So what we're saying, that's why we're so, we always say it over and over. When we give a prophetic word, make sure it's encouraging. Make sure it's an exhortation. Make sure it's going to build them up. You know, is it kind? How would it feel if somebody gave the word to you? Because we believe that our words carry so much life um, and spirit on them to accomplish what God wanted them to do. And so you are the righteousness of God. You are the likewiseness of God, which means you are in sympathetic resonance with him. And to me, is that not just a great picture of, or, and reminder for myself to go, oh, wow, I really need to watch what I'm saying out of my mouth? Turn to Hebrews 11, except for I'm going to read it in the Passion. I love this. But, but, what, he, oh, but what I wanted to say about Romans 4, he says, though, um, the promise of Abraham and his offspring that he would be the heir did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. So what I want to start to talk about for just a few minutes is the righteousness of faith, the sympathetic resonance or likeness, if you will, of faith. And I love Hebrews 11. Hebrews 11, you know, is the faith chapter. And I'm going to read it in the Passion because it's really good. I'm just going to read a few verses. Verse 1. Now faith brings our hope into reality and becomes the foundation needed to acquire the things we long for. It is all the evidence required to prove what is still unseen. This testimony of faith is what previous generations were commended for. Faith empowers us to see that the universe was created and beautifully coordinated by the power of God's words. He spoke in faith and the invisible realm gave birth to all that is seen. Is that just what you're talking about? Verse 17. Faith operated powerfully in Abraham, for when he was put to the test, he offered up Isaac. Even though he received God's promises of descendants, he was willing to offer up his only son. For God had promised, through your son Isaac, your lineage will carry on your name. Abraham's faith convinced him that God could raise Isaac from the dead, and symbolically, that's exactly what happened. And verse 33 is my favorite. Through faith's power, they conquered kingdoms and established true justice. Their faith fastened onto their promises and pulled them into reality. You know, your faith literally grabs a hold of and pulls into this reality what God has promised. So in a minute, we're going to really do it. But what I want you to think about is that prophetic word or prophetic promise that you still see that is still delayed we're going to do some things at the end where you're going to literally see yourself and there might be some things you need to align yourself with or adjust or whatever. And it might be a timing thing, but we get to really do see what would it feel like to apprehend that word and bring it into this reality today? What would that feel like? What is the favor or the character or the confidence? What does that do for me? And we're going to do that at the end. Um, <clears throat> so we now, as the righteousness of faith, as the righteousness of God, speaking words of faith, we're living from faith's fullness. I think it says it at the very end. It says at the end of Hebrews 11, 
Yeah. Verse 39. These were the true heroes commended for their faith, yet they lived in hope without receiving the fullness of what was promised them. But now God has invited us to live in something better than what they had, faith's fullness. This is so that they could be brought to finish perfection alongside of us. We live from faith's fullness. Remember when Jesus Jesus said, you know, when I come back, will I find faith on the earth? You know, in 1 Corinthians 13, or is it 12, the end of 12, or the end of 13, I can't remember. 13. Faith, hope, and love exist. The greatest of these is love. But faith, hope, and love, and faith works through love. Faith, remember, we do everything that we do in the kingdom is by grace through faith. So faith's pretty important, isn't it? But I think that we've really misunderstood faith because actually I don't think that faith and belief are the same thing. I actually believe that there's a little bit of a difference. You know, it says Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years because of unbelief. Remember, Israel, if you want to talk about resonance, Israel saw themselves as grasshoppers, and so they were to them, is what it says in Numbers. So the Bible, in my translation, it might interchange them, but Matthew 17, 20 says, Jesus tells the disciples that because of their unbelief, they couldn't, uh, let me turn, let me turn, I can't remember if it's the mustard, I mean the tree or the mountain. Turn to Matthew 17, 20 and tell me what yours says. What? Matthew 17, 20. He said of them, because of your little faith, for truly I say to you, you have faith like a grain of mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible. What translation is that? English standard. Yeah, mine too. Um, King James says, uh, then the disciples came to Jesus, why can we not cast it out? And he said to them, because of your unbelief, for truly I say to you, if you have faith like a grain of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and nothing will be impossible to you. So Jesus was telling them that they had a belief problem that could be countered with faith. Belief is an opinion or judgment in which a person is fully persuaded. They are things that they're thoroughly convinced of. Like I can have an absolute belief, my strongest belief is that God is good or is that, no, I can absolutely be fully convinced that this high chair will hold me, although I, I'm not, so that's not a true one. I'm not at all sure of that. So I can absolutely believe that this chair is going to hold me, but faith will show you that I do, right? Faith is bigger than belief because faith puts action to belief. Abraham believed. See, hope believes. Hope believes. Hope expects. Hope believes all things. And faith speaks. Faith acts. So faith is belief and obedience and confidence all together. Faith includes our beliefs, but it's bigger than that. James 2.17 says, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. He goes on to say, you believe that God is one. Even the demons believe that. So faith, and then in 22 it says, faith was active along with his works, and faith was completed by his works. 
So in this, James is not saying go out and do something and do things so faith will be generated. Like doing equals faith. No. He's saying our faith, when it's real and it's alive, will naturally move us to do things. When I'm so fully convinced that I know that this is what God is saying and I know that this is what God wants to do, I will act on it. I'll do it. So confidence causes us to act based on how firmly I believe. So when I believe the truth of the word, I take action. And that's why in that chapter, Jesus was saying, you only need uh, a little bit of faith, mustard seed of faith, to see the miracle happen. It's why I like to tell you, that's for me it's helpful, I don't know why, but it is. When I picture that, I know that I am in resonance with the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. I know that we three that we are, that I've been made into his likeness, that I'm just as right on the earth as he was, and he tells me to do his works, and when I place my hands on the sick, they shall be healed when he says that, and I believe it, and I act on it, faith is appropriated, and what happens? Miracles occur. How many times have you all known that God wanted to heal? Like, you just knew it, that you knew it, that you knew it, and you did it, and the healing occurred, right? Raise your, I mean, you, and you knew it, right? Didn't, and you knew it beforehand. And that might be a gift of faith. But then there's other times where I'm doing it obediently, you know? There's other times where I'm doing it out of obedience. He says to do it, and I'm just, I'm going to do it. And even sometimes I realize I have no faith right now. And then still maybe something happens, you know? Okay, so unbelief, um, believing things that are not true, like the lies. Like unbelief is when I become more convinced what the enemy's telling me than I am what God is. I become convinced that, you know what? You're right. I should just quit. I should just sit down. I should hand the baton to someone else. Clearly, I'm out of my lane. I'm not doing what I'm, you know, that's the stuff that begins to clog the gate of faith. Also, when I make the negative judgment, well, I can't hear God like everyone else. I cannot give a prophetic word to someone like everyone else can. Again, closing my gate of faith. It's a negative judgment. And Romans 4.13, for it said, when it says, the, for the promise to Abraham and his offspring that he would be heir of the world did not come through the law, but through the righteousness of faith. That's who you are. That's sympathetic resonance. So, what I want to talk about, just for a few minutes, and we're going to do some stuff, is who does God say that you are? Or what is one of the prophetic promises that he has given to you? Because that is the eternal you. Who God says you are for you is the most powerful force in the universe because when you come into agreement with that, everything will flow out of that place. What you do will flow out of who you are. Identity always comes first. Remember, you know, David, David was anointed king by Samuel years before he ever sat on the throne. But what did David do for all of those years? He acted like a king. He assembled one of the largest armies in Israel. He was writing worship songs to God. He was practicing with the lion and the bear before he killed Goliath. You know, David believed the word. He believed that he was anointed king, and he began to align himself with the word and appropriate it until one day he actually was sitting on that throne. You know, Gideon did not believe that he was a mighty warrior. He was hiding out in fear from uh, until the angel came and said, Mighty, you mighty man of valor, you're going to lead the army. And he did, didn't he? 
because he believed the word. And so that's why like the, these words, when we're giving out these words to people and it's prophetic identity, it's, it is like overhearing that conversation in heaven that this is how you are known and we're giving you a glimpse of that. This is how heaven sees you. This is how the father sees you. This is what they say you are and this is what you're gonna do. <clears throat> but the key often, um, my own internal definition of myself needs to be aligned to believe the word or act on it, doesn't it? What I think, some of the old wounds, the old lies I believe, some of that old stuff, that is getting addressed in me. Or external things. I think I've disqualified myself because of my past. So we have to learn to be eternally defined, not internally or externally based on past performance or present performance. Okay, but right before, so before in closing, so knowing my prophetic identity, knowing what heaven, who God says that I am, and the things that he says that I'm going to do, there's a couple of things that we need to do to see those things. Is Number one is believe the word. I believe, I, I look at my prophetic words I've gotten and, I, and I, I've recorded them or I've written them down and I'm, I'm taking out these I am statements that this is who he says that I am, and I, and I practice believing that that is really true. I allow what he said to challenge my internal reality of those things that I've always believed about myself. That's your true eternal identity. That's how you're seen seated in heavenly places. So that first step before action, that's the belief part. The second part is alignment, and that's the internal and personal work. And alignment is positioning yourself to agree and partner with what God says about you. So that means that's taking off anything that doesn't look like the person that heaven describes and putting on the things that do. It's actually the practice of being the real you. If, if God says that you are going to be a, a spiritual mother to many, um, and an excellent physical mother to your actual children, but yet you still have a very quick, short temper, or very impatient, get, have there's some things that need uh, arranging, right? There's some things that I need to align. If I'm going to be a mother, it's like I might have to learn to put on patience. I'm going to have to learn to put off some things, maybe not have quite such an angry, bursting, quick, short temper, but actually learn how to curb my tongue. So there are some practical things that we can be doing. Yeah, I, mm -hmm. I just keep thinking about this. Uh, like when I was in YWAM, when I was super young, we went to Fiji and on that outreach. But in the atmosphere there is like a real island culture. So there's a lot of apathy. There's a lot of like kind of laziness in the mm -hmm. atmosphere. And so my team would like gather up and I wasn't a leader. I was just on the team and pray about what we're supposed to do that day. And like 80 to 90% of the team would be like, I just feel like we're supposed to stay home. I'm going to like do laundry. Like, <laughs> um, and it was like, no, like we can yeah. however many miles like yeah. to this country to, to like minister. And so I think just to agree with what Kelly's saying, like a lot of times your feelings are not going to initially line up with your prophetic identity or like. Totally. And that might be the atmosphere that you're feeling, mm -hmm. like things in the nation. So just. I, I don't know. I just wanted to add yeah. that. Like you often, what we called it in YWAM was walking in the opposite spirit. Yes. And that's a tool that I think if you 
want to really walk in your prophetic identity, you have to learn how to exercise those muscles. Okay, I feel like staying in bed, but that must mean mm -hmm. something really good is going to happen today. Mm -hmm. So I need to get, get out of bed. I need to get dressed. I need mm -hmm. to whatever. Like, and just believing, like, Sunday night, I didn't really want to go to church. Like, and I'm the pastor. Mm -hmm. But I'm like, well, that means something good so must yeah. be going to happen. Tonight. And it was yep. a really good night. And so yep. just keeping those things in mind, you're not ashamed of your feelings or your emotions, but being able to strengthen those muscles, walk in the opposite. Totally. That. Yeah, that's right. It's good. Yeah. yeah. It's like when um, Chuck was even talking about, you know, when he got prophetic words about preaching to crowds, you know, and he said he preached to his dresser in his bedroom before he ever preached in front of a crowd. You know, there's things that, practical things that we can do. Okay. Um, so internal alignment and actions demonstrate that I do truly, truly believe what God is saying. And so what are the parts that you need to prepare for? What are the parts that you need strengthening and practicing? Okay, the third thing, so there was agreement. Number two was alignment. The third thing is appropriation. And it's taking appropriate steps of, steps of action. And that's just that whole, I challenge my reality with my heavenly reality. I remind myself of who God made me to be. When I used to still get a little bit intimidated or fearful to speak, and usually it was because men were in the crowd, because I've always been taught that women don't teach men, I would remind myself of, no, 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 God said, I gave you this seat of authority, and you don't give it to anyone else. Yeah, I had to remind myself of that literally out loud when I would feel intimidation coming at me, you know? I was picking up on stuff where I, they don't like that I'm speaking here. I would literally have to, like, say, this is who God says I am. This is what I'm going to do. Okay, you know? And it works. It really does work. Thank God I feel much different about that now. Um, okay, so I just want to end. I love this, and I wish I could find the scripture. But um, when we get a prophetic word or a prophetic promise, it's, it's God is giving us a picture of our future. And Graham Cook tells this story, and he got a life-threatening illness. And um, I think he's had, he's had several, but this was the more recent. He had a life-threatening illness, and a friend came with him, and he gave him a scripture from Isaiah, and I can't remember which one it is, but he said, instead of living in this place of real kind of despondency, despair, and fear of where he had been, trying hard to muster up faith and trying hard to remind himself and do all these things, that one scripture he got, I wish I knew which one it was, and I don't know that he said he said it took all of the pressure off and it enabled him to get into a place of rest. And he said from that time on, he formulated this mindset. During this situation, as long as it lasted, I am not a person trying to get well. I am a whole person fighting off sickness. Isn't that good? It just shifts. It's the alignment. It shifts everything. So we can stand in absolute confidence of who God is for us in all of his goodness in spite of our circumstances. And I hold on to that promise. So a, a, a couple, I don't know, whenever Joey got his second heart thing, he had this heart thing going on, which has been going on now for several years. But it came back, and um, I was sitting there going, Lord, I just was feeling... You know, at the beginning when I talked about a prolonged season of stress, like the people of Puerto Aransas have been feeling, I recognize we've been in a prolonged season of stress. And so you can easily just feel like, bam, when something else comes again, you know? So this last time when his heart issue came back, I was like, Lord, I need a picture from you. Like, I need to see something. I need a word to hold on to because he is destined for a long life. And this doesn't make sense. And I did not have a word, but Christina did. And Christina called me, and she had a picture, remember, of us sitting on this porch 
big on a house with a huge wide wraparound porch. Joey and I were sitting on it and the grandchildren were all around us. So when I did not have a picture, somebody else did and I held on to that. I'm like, this might be what the doctors are saying, and this is what it looks like in the natural, but I know what God is saying, and God is saying that Joey and I are going to live a long life and have grandchildren running around us on a beautiful porch, preferably at the beach. Beach, <laughs> beach. was it Cinnamon Shores? All right, Cinnamon Shores. Thank you. I'm putting that in the bank. Right. But, and so that's the beauty of that, you know? is that I get to now contend with a promise. I can actually see my future, because here's the thing, God's heart and nature towards you is unchanging. And when things come my way now, I get to learn he's my stabilizing force. He's not changing, Jesus is the constant, and so I'm just saying, okay, Jesus, then who do you wanna be for me right now in this situation? What am I getting to learn from this circumstance that I haven't been able to learn any other way? And I know that on the other side of this, you and I are going to not only be strengthened in our depth of intimacy and connection, but I'm actually going to be so much stronger and more mature out of just having walked through that. So sometimes the prophetic promise being delayed is actually a huge blessing to you. Because you are going to get, I wouldn't trade these last 15 years for anything in the world. Nothing. Our marriage, like we are crazy about each other. Like our marriage is awesome. Like we have strengthened ourselves personally, spiritually, emotionally, physically, not to say too much with wink in the room. But <laughs> so I'm so thankful for these 15 years, but let me tell you, they've been hell. But I believe so much more even today what God said that we know we're going to see than we've seen yet. Yeah. And I'm so excited about it. So I get to hold on. So I'm going to stop because I want 30 minutes of activation. So I, this is what I want to say.